Well, I too just want to take a moment and thank everyone for choosing to spend Easter morning here with us at Clarny Mennonite Church. And uh, it's, it's one of the most special days of the year. In fact, for me it is. Um, and so whether you've been coming to Clarny Mennonite your whole life or whether this is your first time, you're just visiting, or maybe it's just you haven't been back since last Easter, you know, whatever the case, we don't have people like that, do we? No. Whatever the case, I'm glad you're here, and I want to say a special thank you to all of you who have been uh, just lifting me up in prayer these past couple of weeks. I've felt those prayers, and they mean a lot, so I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, this morning, as I've already said, uh, this is the most important celebration in Christianity. Uh, others have said, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have everything. And I hope you're living in that reality. That because of him, because he lives, as we just sang those songs, we have everything through Christ Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to take a little time to learn more about what a difference that makes, practically speaking, in our lives as we move ahead. Would you bow with me? Father, we continue to worship you and we thank you that your word reveals all of these amazing truths. Lord, I know we've heard them so many times and even just watching the children's video, we, we almost take them for granted. Just how incredible, how supernatural these events were. That we just hear them in sequence. You died, you went in the grave, you rose from the dead, angels appeared, Roman soldiers, elite guard were knocked over like they were nothing. And all of these things, and then at the end of it all, you go back to heaven, you float up out of sight. Lord, these are things we just couldn't make up. They're incredible. And yet you have done it all. And through faith, we believe. And not only do we believe, but we're so persuaded that we're here this morning with clear conviction that you are alive and that one day you are coming back soon. And so, Father, in all of these things, I pray that you would just increase our faith, uh, increase our conviction, increase, Lord, our desire to live out the days you've given us for your glory, that we would live with you, Jesus, that we would live for you, and that we would point others to you. And so I pray that this morning, through your word, we would learn what a difference your life, your resurrection makes in our lives. Speak through me, your servant, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you may have also noticed that today is also April Fool's Day. Has anyone else played any pranks this morning, or because it's Easter, you are on your best behavior? Yeah? Oh, I see fingers pointing. Well, there's a true story that on April 1st of 1998, the fast food restaurant Burger King, they published a full-page advertisement in an American newspaper announcing the introduction of a new item to their menu. A left-handed Whopper. And this left-handed Whopper was especially designed for the 32 million left-handed Americans. And according to the advertisement, the new Whopper included the same ingredients as the original Whopper, but all the items were rotated 180 degrees for the benefit of their left-handed customers. Well, needless to say, the, the uh, Burger King corporate executives, they all had a good chuckle. 
assuming that their April Fool's prank would be obvious to the public. But things ended up getting a little out of hand. Pun intended. And so the next day... (laughs) The next day, Burger King issued a follow-up press release which said that although the left-handed Whopper was a hoax, thousands of customers had in fact gone into the restaurants requesting the new burger. And simultaneously, according to the press release, many others had requested their own right-handed versions. So, left-handed, right-handed, I guess we're all about the same. Now, of course, everyone has had a time or two in their life where they've been played for the fool, where they fell for a prank. But I was interested to learn that this year of 2018 is the first year Since 1956, that Easter Sunday and April Fool's Day fall on the same day. First time since 1956. And it strikes me as almost fitting. Because the early church was known to celebrate the fact that on Easter, the greatest prank of all time was played on the devil himself. For just when he had thought that he had achieved victory by having Jesus killed on the cross, it was In fact, he who was played for the fool when Jesus burst forth from the grave in glorious resurrection. And as Colossians 2.15 declares, having disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Easter is truly the day of Satan's folly and of Jesus' triumph. And of course, the best part is that we get to share in his victory. For as Paul declares, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. But now in more practical terms, what does that mean for us today? What actual difference does Easter make in our day-to-day lives? Does it really matter? How does it impact the way you live your life on a daily basis? Even people who believe that Jesus rose from the grave on the third day, even they sometimes have difficulty explaining how it's relevant to their lives. So whether you are a follower of Christ or whether you're still examining his claims, I want to invite you to travel back with me to that first Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus appeared to his faithful followers and explore the significance of the resurrection and the difference that it can make in our lives. So turn with me this morning to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And of course, we're concluding our survey series in the Gospel of John with this pinnacle event, John chapter 20, and there we're going to begin in verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now here, the very first difference that we see Jesus makes is that because he lives, our fears are replaced by God's peace. When Jesus first appeared to his disciples, you'll notice that he sees them cowering in fear behind locked doors, thinking that the same people who had crucified Jesus just hours before would be out to get them next. And when you think about it, that's not an unfounded fear. In fact, it was quite likely. You want to stamp out a movement, you kill the leader and the closest followers. And this is the way they're thinking. And so them hiding out behind locked doors, fearful for their lives, 
It makes a lot of sense. And so this is how Jesus finds his chosen, well, eleven, as Judas had betrayed him and was gone. So here are his eleven. He's groomed them for three years, and they're cowering here in fear. And I love that the very first words out of Jesus' mouth were these. Peace be with you. The peace that Jesus spoke of was more than just a sense of calmness or tranquility. It was, in fact, the Hebrew word that would have been said in just one word when Jesus appeared, shalom. Shalom. It means wholeness, completeness, serenity, harmony of life, but at the very center of shalom that stems outward from there is peace with God. In fact, even if you go to Israel today, very often you will hear the greeting between one another, between people, shalom. It was an everyday greeting to say, peace with God, peace from God to you and out of God, we have peace moving into every sphere of life. So at the center of this shalom is God, peace with him, and it moves outward. And so one thing we must take note of when we, when we hear this word that Jesus speaks to his disciples, shalom, peace be with you, is that this is not a peace that we make with God. Rather, this is a peace that God makes with us. Now, I know at first it may sound like I'm splitting hairs here, but I think there's an important difference. Now, as a pastor, you probably know I've conducted many funerals. And every once in a while, I'll have someone save the deceased that he or she has made their peace with God. Now, though I understand the sentiment of what is meant by saying that, he's made their, you know, they've made their peace with God, I understand what they're getting at. The truth is, we can't do that. We, we're, we're simply not in a position to make peace with God. When God created Adam and Eve, he gave them the Garden of Eden as a perfect paradise. He came and he walked and he talked with them in the cool of the day, and they walked and lived and breathed in this peace of God. It was perfect in every way. Then came the tragedy of sin and mankind was alienated from God. The wonderful peace was shattered. The earth, the animals, mankind, the universe was cursed. And we now live in this fractured world. And every one of us since then has sinned. And our sins have put this chasm between us and God. And no matter how hard we try or what we do, we always fall short. And left to run its course, it leads to everlasting death and separation from God. And my friends, this is the most fearful condition imaginable, to be eternally separated from God, in darkness, in the void, without his peace. And here's something that I don't think a lot of people going through their day-to-day lives ever pause to consider, but it's this. Whether we know God personally or not, we are living in the presence of God. God is in this world. He is around us. And and whether someone has personally put their faith in him or not yet, they are still in some way recipients of this blessing of the shalom of God because God is present. It's not about justice or fairness. It's, It's like how God says, Jesus said in his word, he sends the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. He sends the rain on the wicked and the good. Right? And so today, even the wicked... Even the unrighteous are still being blessed in some way by the shalom of God, whether they know it in their souls yet or not. 
But friends, when we are judged before that great throne, and we are then told by God, I never knew you, depart from me, suddenly for the very first time in existence, a a person, a soul will realize what it is to be apart, completely, utterly apart, separated from the shalom of God. And I, I don't even want to go there, but in moments where I have tried to consider what that would be like, it terrifies me. Alone without God, without hope in the world, is the most fearful condition imaginable. And so now we return to the fear-filled disciples. You know, they're in this helpless condition. They're afraid for their lives. They're demoralized. Their leader and, and Lord has just been crucified. They could not demand peace with God. They were in a helpless condition. So instead, notice this. It was Jesus who graciously went And spoke God's peace to them. And his peace made such a difference. That not only did it remove their fear. But it forever removed that chasm of sin. And the separating barrier between all of mankind and God. You see it is God who is in the position of saying. I I desire to make peace with you. Here are my terms. Think of it as as two opposing military forces. The one is is utterly defeated. They have no means of continuing the battle. Are they in a position to dictate the terms of, of the peace treaty? No, they're not. They're defeated. The disciples were defeated. It was only Jesus who could come and speak the terms of peace to them. And speak them he did. He comes to them mercifully, graciously. He speaks the terms of his peace. And he says to them, Shalom. I bring my peace, the peace of God, to you. Ephesians 2, 13 to 18, this loaded passage, but it explains all of this so well. Listen. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father, By one spirit. Jesus is our peace. He is the embodiment of our peace. And he comes and he preaches his peace. He proclaims his peace to us and over our lives. Because Jesus died to forgive our sins and rose again to defeat death. The way to the Father is now open. And this is what Jesus declared to the disciples that day. Shalom. It is finished. The way is open. The Father, the throne of grace, is now accessible to you. And all you have to do is joyfully receive the terms of his peace and receive his grace. We see in that moment, the disciples, there's not hardly even a moment of decision. They just, they see him, they hear his words, they believe, and we see the response. Of course, they're overcome with joy. Everything that the prophets had foretold Everything that that must take place had taken place. 
and the disciples were the very first recipients of it. And of course, they are overflowing with joy. And same for us, that if we, like the disciples, receive his offer, if and when we do, what a difference that makes. For even the darkest moments of life are then transformed by the peace of God. The way to the Father is now open. Bill and Gloria Gaither, who I know many of you are fans of, and, and the, the, the music that they, have, that they have been responsible for producing for so many years, I know many of you appreciate. And, and they've written so many gospel songs, it's hard to keep track of them all. But Gloria wrote one song in particular in the 1960s, 1960s that came while she was expecting her first child. And this was in the early years. They weren't entirely famous yet, and the couple was going through some very difficult problems at that time. Bill had been seriously sick. Their music had just been harshly criticized for not being spiritual enough. And so it was on New Year's Eve that Gloria writes, I sat alone in the darkness thinking about the rebellious world and all of our problems. I thought about our baby born, our baby yet to, yet to be born, and who in their right mind would bring a child into a world like this? But then something happened, she said. I can't quite explain what happened in the next moment, but suddenly I felt a release from it all. The panic that had begun to build inside of me was gently dispelled by a reassuring presence and a soft whisper that kept saying over and over again, don't forget the empty tomb. Don't forget the empty tomb. Again and again she cried out in prayer and again and again the response came, don't forget the empty tomb. Then suddenly I knew that I could have that baby and face the future with optimism and with trust. For I had been reminded that it was all worth it because he lives. And out of that experience she wrote the much-loved song that we just sang this morning, Because He Lives. And verse 2 of the song, the one that we skipped, but verse 2 of that song speaks powerfully of the personal difference that this made for Gloria. And it goes like this. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives, but greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And then the course, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Friends, are we living in uncertain times? Are we hearing about things on the news, in politics, around the world that trouble you? Um, I'm not seeing a lot of nodding heads here, but I know I've talked to a lot of you. There's stuff going on that troubles us, and rightly so. There are things happening in this world that are filled with uncertainty, and we have no idea how it's going to all play out. But you know what, friends? We can face those uncertain days with hope and optimism for the future because he lives. It doesn't mean that everything between now and the end is going to be easy, but you know what? It ensures that in Christ, because of Christ, we are more than conquerors. The victory is, insu- is assured. And so, yes, we hold our, our, our newborn babies in hope that no matter what the future holds, because he lives, all fear is gone. 
And when Jesus got up and walked out of that tomb, he changed everything for you, for me, for the whole world. He did it for the disciples. He did it for Gloria Gaither. He's done it for me, and I know, I know he will do it for you. So what are you dealing with today? What are you afraid of? What circumstances have got you down about the future? Whatever it is, I want you to hear Jesus' words spoken personally to you today. Shalom. Peace be with you. Because he lives, our fears are replaced by God's peace. The difference, the second difference that it makes is this. Because Jesus lives, our lives have purpose. John 20, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So here they are, huddled for fear in that locked room. I'm almost certain that even if not spoken aloud, this thought was on every disciple's mind in those dark moments of Saturday and early Sunday morning. What do we do now? We pinned all of our hopes and dreams and plans for the future on Jesus, and he's dead. He's gone. So what do I do with my life now? What do I do without him? And some of them we know would have gone back to their former trades as fishermen. They even dabbled in an in-between. But after all of the incredible things that they had experienced with Jesus, what a hollow existence that would have been. To have gone through everything that they did with Jesus and then just go back to being plain old fishermen. And today there are many people living equally hollow existences apart from Jesus. Invariably at some point, at some point I think in every life, people wake up and realize one day, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied by my life. I'm not satisfied by what it offers me. And so they ask themselves questions like, why am I here? What is the point of my life? And this search for the meaning of life has puzzled people for thousands of years, primarily because we begin at the wrong starting point, ourselves. We ask self-centered questions like, what do I want to be? What should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams for the future? But focusing on ourselves will never reveal our life's purpose. And we live in a world that's full of navel gazers. Everyone's staring at their own belly button, so focused on themselves, they can't figure out why they can't see what's going on. A self-centered existence is ultimately meaningless. The only way that the true meaning of life can be discovered is by beginning at the correct starting point. It is not ourselves. The correct starting point is God. Colossians 1 verse 15 says this. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Then verse 16 concludes with this. Everything was created through him and for him. I want to say that one more time. Everything was created through him and for him. What is everything? What is everything? Does everything include us? Yeah, it does. Everything is everything. Now, I don't know if anyone has ever told you this before. Maybe not in these exact terms. But let me be the first then. Your life is not about you. Your life is about Christ. Your life is not about you. It is about 
Christ. Everything, including you and me, was created through him and for him. Now, some people have been the center of their own personal universes for so long that they'll be offended by this. And so they'll scoff and they'll, how dare you say that, and continue along their not-so-merry way, and all the while wonder why life seems so empty and pointless. And we return again to the disciples, and we clearly see that without Jesus, their lives are ruled by fear and devoid of purpose. But then Jesus comes along and says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And what an instantaneous difference that made. Just like that, a snap of the fingers. Because Jesus was alive, the disciples' lives were instantly transformed from fear to peace. And then not only that, they're given a tremendous purpose, a mission, meaning. And they embraced it wholeheartedly. They embraced it passionately, fearlessly, and they went out to fulfill their commander's mission. And they changed the world forever. Now, friends, listen. I can personally tell you the best thing I ever did in my life was embrace the fact that my life was not about me, but about Jesus. And once I discovered that correct starting point, I now wake up every morning and I know exactly why I exist and what I'm supposed to do with the short time I'm here on earth. It's all about Jesus. It's about living with him. It's about living for him. And it's about pointing others to him. Everything else is just details. Do you believe that? Your life is about Jesus. Living with him, for him, and pointing others to him. And the rest are details. Yes, because Jesus lives, our lives have purpose. And the third difference it makes that Jesus lives is that our lives now have power. Power. Verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a challenging verse to understand because, of course, the powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was yet to come after Jesus ascended to heaven. So, scholars and theologians have asked forever, what exactly was this then? And we first have to acknowledge that this is a very unique point in history. You see, they're right in the middle between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, we know that the Holy Spirit could descend on specific people to empower them for specific tasks, but the Holy Spirit could also depart from them. And of course, we know that after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend on all believers and never depart. And so here it seems that here in this very unique occasion, this unique point in history, momentarily caught between the two testaments, the Lord Jesus graciously breathes on his disciples the Holy Spirit to first give peace to their souls, second give them understanding to their minds of what was unfolding, because remember, they're just so bewildered, and third, to empower their hearts for the mission that would come ahead. And of course, the full power of the Holy Spirit as promised, was poured out at Pentecost, fulfilling the prophecy of Joel. And it is that same spirit and same power that we are living under today. It is that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that indwells every child of God today. As Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. 
And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Do you feel like you have power in your life? Or do you feel like you're, you're, you're weak? You're, you're, you're lacking something? Well, friends, let me tell you, in Christ, here is the word. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. So what kind of power is that? What kind of things would that make available to you? Now remember, this is exercised by faith. But as we exercise our faith to believe that the Spirit of God is dwelling, living, breathing, moving within us, as Paul says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And this is an ongoing thing as day by day we learn to hear the Spirit's whispers. We step out in faith as the Spirit nudges us and convicts us to go out and do things in Jesus' name. And as we do that, I promise you, you will experience this power. And it will grow in your life through obedience and through faith. And so friends, because Jesus lives, not only do our lives now have purpose, but by the Holy Spirit, we have the power to live out that purpose and accomplish the mission that Jesus has given each one of us. And now fourthly and finally, the difference that Jesus makes, because he lives, we have a promise. At the end of this encounter with the risen Christ, John tells us in verse 31, These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the same promise that Jesus made to Nicodemus on that rooftop in the middle of the night. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. All throughout his ministry, Jesus promised life everlasting to those who believe in him. Jesus said so clearly, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. It's that abundant life that we anticipate as believers. And many people today hope for a long and happy life, but Jesus offers us so much more than that. He offers forever, eternity, life without end. The promise of life, after, life everlasting is the heartbeat of hope. It's what makes anything and everything that we've faced as a church family not only bearable, but it transforms it from, from something of tragedy to triumph. Because we know in the end, God is going to reveal the mysteries of what all of this was about how he was working about eternity, not just everyday stuff, but eternal matters. And sometimes, most of the time, we can't see it. When we face tragedy, when we face death, and we lose loved ones, and we lose them suddenly, we're left reeling, and just like the disciples, we're fearful, we're alone, and we're afraid. But Jesus comes and he promises us not only peace for today, but life everlasting. This is the promise that changes everything. I want you to think of it this way. There's a story told of a Muslim in Africa who became a Christian. And he converted to Christianity. And some of his friends asked him, Why have you done such a thing? And he replied, Well, it's like this. Suppose you were going down the road and suddenly the road forked in two directions. You didn't know which way to go, but there at the fork were two men. 
One is dead and the other one is alive. Which one would you ask for directions? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in following a dead Savior. I want the one who death couldn't hold. Because if death couldn't hold him, then I'm staking everything. I'm putting it all on the fact and the great hope that because of Jesus, death won't be able to hold me either. And even though, unless the Lord returns first, even though there will one day be a tombstone with my name on it, that's just a pit stop. Because when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ rise, in the twinkling of an eye, I plan on flying on out of here and being with the Lord forever. By faith in Jesus, I just know that it's true. What a promise. What a promise. Are you living under that promise today? If so, praise the Lord. And if not, let me just say to you, God loves you more than you'll ever know. He gave his one and only son so that you could live forever with him. Apart from him you die, but with him you live forever. And if you need to experience the power of Easter, if you want to have the peace, the shalom of God, if you want to have a purpose for your life, the Holy Spirit's power and the promise of heaven, please consider today that Jesus is not just alive for me, he's alive for you. His peace, presence, power, and promise are all available to you right here and right now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a difference. (laughs) What a difference your resurrection makes. It split history in two. (laughs) It split the rocks. It split the ground. It threw soldiers to the ground. It tore the curtain from top to bottom. You did it all. And through your life, we have life. Through your resurrection, our resurrection is secured. And because of you and in you, we know that our sins are washed away. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who hasn't just simply said yes to you in faith, believing in you, believing that your death was for them, Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, please convict that heart to just say yes to Jesus. I believe. Forgive my sins. Come in. Direct my life because I know it's all about you. It's not about me. And so, Lord, for all of us today, I pray that we would recognize that we were made by you, we were made for you. And that our lives, oh Lord, only fu- are only fulfilled. They only have peace, they only have purpose, they only have power, and they only have the promise in you. And I pray that each one of us would go out in this reality today. Because what a difference it makes. And I pray, Lord, that the reality of these truths would make a difference in every aspect of our lives from this day until we see you face to face. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.